Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. How are we going to make Bryson better? You know, he practices more than anybody. So we're not going to get it from there. You know, we need to start thinking outside the box and getting him closer to the hole without changing his current skill set, right? And so we started to do this air density. And, and basically what air density is, it's barometric pressure, current altitude, temperature combined, and it gives you a density altitude. So, for example, Amarillo, Texas, where I live, is 3,600 feet. Um, in the summer when it's 90 degrees or 85 degrees, it's plays like we're at 6,600 feet. So that's how much it changes. You know, people typically just take the, the current altitude that they're at and that's the only adjustment they make, but it's also, you need to make it a temperature adjustment and the density altitude, not altitude. So we've found great success with that. Folks, when I finished my hundred miler, I was happy to be done but I wasn't finished. The reason why my legs weren't completely bonked from running was that I used PR lotion by Momentus. It simply eliminated any lactic acid buildup in my legs, and it's the best product I've ever used. Momentus is a leading nutrition and supplement company which works with over 150 professional and collegiate sports teams. No other company has the accolades of being awarded six innovation contracts from the Department of Defense for Human Performance. Since I started using PR lotion, I now use their plant-based protein, collagen peptides, and recovery formula. Look, if performing is important to you, do yourself a favor. Go to livemomentous.com. And for listening today, you get the best part, a discount. Enter code DRB20 for 20% off your order. That's DRB and the number 20. LiveMomentous.com. Optimize, perform, and recover. LiveMomentous.com. So I'm geeked about our guest today on episode 111 on the Mental Toughness Podcast. We have a special golf guest. Now, our podcast is brought to you by livemomentous.com. Use the code DRB20 for 20% off. Real quick, our other golf-related episodes, if that's why you're tuning into this one, episode 106, Eric Barnes. Episode 95 was Adam Curley, PT, strength coach on tour. Episode 59 was Scott Fawcett. Episode 52, Scott Stallings. Episode 21 was Joe Scarborn, who's a PJ Tour caddy. And a good friend. And today's guest, the reason why I mentioned that is longtime PJ Tour caddy. From 2016 to 2011, he won eight PJ Tour victories in the 2020 US Open at Winged Foot while being on the bag with Bryson DeChambeau. He's an entrepreneur, uh, started Loop Golf Transportation with Amos Baker. It's a high end transportation business for golfers to and from Bandon Dunes. Our guest released True Aim Marker. Train, practice, and play. It's aimmarker.com. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, Adam's fencing one at, uh, at RSM is definitely a, a client of his and they had utilized that, um, that marker tool. It's fantastic. He's former club pro, also caddied at Bandon Dunes for many years, and we're both fellow Washington fans back when they were the Redskins. Our guest today is Tim Tucker. Tim, my man, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure. So not to timestamp the episodes, right? Because I like it for them all to be evergreen. But we do have to mention we got to start with the NFL and with Washington, right? I mean, from I mean, we've been fans since the Redskins to the football team, now to the commanders. But I mean, they know their identity, right? They've ran the ball, they play defense, and then they got a dog as quarterback with Taylor Heineke, man. It's I mean, they're winning, man. Yeah, yeah. I just I just the other day, about well, about two weeks ago, I'm waiting on it still, but I bought my Heineke, you know, pullover. And, uh, you know, so this guy, like, it's so amazing to see him be so successful, right? I mean, everybody loves the underdog, or at least I do. And, you know, that's why I'm a 
that's why I'm a Washington fan. They're the underdog. So <laughs> absolutely, man. And I mean, I, I got the first time I saw him play, obviously was the playoff game against Tom Brady, and he balled out. I mean, had an incredible game. And I've got this shirt, the legend of Taylor Heineke, and that's the one of him reaching and scoring that touchdown on that one. You, uh, you sent me that picture from Indian, Indianapolis from the stadium. All right. That's when I looked online and I bought I bought one like it. So yeah, I love. It. <laughs> I mean, I mean the thing about him too, because it's so simple. Because the thing about him, and so many people are going to overlook him, and I get it, man. Like he's got weaknesses, but which NFL quarterback doesn't from week to week, right? But his only weakness is, I mean, he cannot throw like the long deep ball like Mark Rippon could with with expertise, right? He he doesn't have that that skill set, but he shows up every day to practice, and he practices like it's his last day playing. Yeah, I think his teammates love him, right? And, you know, in that playoff game when Chase Young, you know, he dove to the end zone, which is the, the shirt, right? You know, and Chase Young went out and, and gave him the respect, that, you know, and that love that the team just wrapped around him, man. And, and you know, the only – I was telling a buddy the other day, I wished – you know, I, I don't know how – I think he's six feet tall. Yeah. I'd like how good he could be at, you know, six three, six four, right? Because he gets a lot of balls battered down. But yeah. – um He's making it happen, which is great. Yeah, and I just love the dog mentality, man. I was I was a fan from his from the very first time I saw him. I was like, we don't need anybody else paying whatever he wants to get paid. You know, last year, obviously, I mean, you could see the weaknesses that are there. But, I mean, just with somebody who is going to make mistakes and yet come back and still win, man, that's the object of the game, right, to win. And no he doubt. Does yeah, they've been – they've been uh, – you know, other than the Minnesota game, I mean, they, they could have been on a seven-game win streak, which, you know, you win six, six to seven in the NFL, you're good. Got the best record since week six. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, awesome. That's good, man. It's fun, finally, right? And I love watching, <laughs> and I love watching the defense, too, man. I mean, the Smash Mouth football is great. We, we can have a whole conversation on this, man. I, I mean, there are people, probably Dallas fans listen to him, be like, why am I listening to this stuff? So I get it, man. So let's get in. Let's get into the content, man. I mean, you you met Bryson when he was 15 years old. I mean, you were doing a green reading clinic. Fast forward. I mean, you were caddying for for Taylor Aldridge, right? And and you guys met and connected. Tyler. Yeah, Tyler for, yeah, for Tyler exactly. And then you, you know, how did that transpire? You just start working with Bryson. Yeah, you know. So I'd been out caddying for Tyler, and it, and you know, it was we were struggling a little bit, but we you know we had some success, but you know, struggling. We'd missed a couple cuts. And, you know, Tyler, Tyler's a great guy and he's a friend of mine now. And, you know, I'm so thankful he gave me the opportunity, but, you know, I, I was just, you know what, I don't think this is working out for me. Had nothing to do with that. And, Ty, you know, we, we just said, Hey, you know, let's just move on. And I had no intent of caddying for anybody since Bryson had come out on tour. He came out at Harbortown, which I'm wearing now, ironically. Um, he, uh, you know, we, I just, these tour players are busy. I'm busy. So I, you know, I just say hi to him once a week. Hey, what's up, bud? You know, give him a hug, whatever. And, uh, you know, just every week I saw him. Well, I left, I was at Byron Nelson. I left Byron Nelson. I was, my dad had driven down from Amarillo, Texas. That's where I live now. And, uh, so we're driving back and I got a call from Mike Shia. I mean, I did not even pursue that. Right. I had no idea that Bryson had let his caddy go that week too. And so they asked me to come come back. So I flew back down the next day to Colonial and caddied for him there, you know, and we missed the cut, unfortunately. But then, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, I want to, you know, I still want to work with Tim. And so we went to Memorial and made the cut and, you know, started started playing a little better. And uh, that's how it worked out. Mm -hmm. I mean, eight, eight PJ Tour wins was was awesome. I mean, you you've commented on how hard Bryson worked and how it made you better even as oh, a caddy yeah. talk to us about that relationship kind of early on, how it transpired and, and, and what took place. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Bryson was a superstar coming out of, you know, won the U S amateur, won the um, NCAAs and then, you know, was in the final group at the masters had a chance to win on, or excuse me, on Saturday, he was in the, I think the final group. And, uh, but anyway, was playing great golf as he turned pro and then finished fourth at Hilton head his first event. And, you know, he would say he thought it was easy. And then, you know, it all settles in. It's like, hey, this is a real job. All these guys are as talented as I am, if not more. And he realized how difficult it was being a tour pro. 
And so he started diving in and working and he would tell you that he does not have the talent of other players, but his work ethic is what, you know, and his, and the way he thinks, you know, about trying to get an advantage with his mind, you know, it's helped him. And so, you know, he is a grinder. He's a hard worker and he will not settle. There's no excuses. He will not settle for, for failure. And because of that, he makes, he demands that from everybody around him and people misconstrue that as him being a jerk, you know, or, you know, or tough guy or whatever it is, you know, and uh, being hard on people, but, you know, to his credit, he makes everybody around him better or, you know, they move, they move on down the road. And I would tell you that uh, everything that Bryson, you know, everything that we did together, you know, I owe him, I owe him everything for that. You know, he, just to be around him and the things that he accomplished, you know, I benefited from all of that and he made me a better caddy. Um, and, you know, I, I knew it, I know a ton about the golf swing now and just, you know, because every single shot I'm to watch him and understand what he's doing, watch his spin rates, watch the distance, everything that we do, we're, we're not out there ever just on the range, you know, not grinding. And that's his biggest attribute is he's a great leader and the fact that he makes people around him better. And that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not popular to be a hard ass, but, but, you know, he makes it happen. And he, he, I owe him a lot for that. Yeah. What, what stands out to you about, you know, the major championship U S open, uh, you know, Wingfoot 2020, what stands out to you about that, that week? Boy, uh, we, well, the rough was really tough as they always are to open the course is long. I felt really comfortable with the golf course. Um, you know, there were two par fives and he nine was so tight. I felt like, and he drove it so beautifully down the center of the fairway there. And, you know, he had an Eagle on Sunday, uh, Matt Wolf, we were playing with Matt Wolf. It was really a two man race at that point. Uh, Matt hit it in there about 12 feet and Bryson hit it in like 35 feet, but, um, made the Eagle putt and that kind of, that changed it. Right. Bryson ended up, you know, Matt missed. Bryson made Eagle. We had a one shot lead. Um, you know, then Matt bogeyed 10. And from there, you know, we kind of just hammered down and, and, you know, Bryson played amazing on the back nine, but, you know, without his, you know, hard work and dedication to, to trying to hit the ball further, which is, you know, he gained over COVID in three months, he gained 35 yards on his driver and he had the strength to hit the ball. So he could hit a pitching wedge out of the rough, or excuse me, a seven iron out of the rough, 190 yards. So there was not a hole, even if he hit it in the rough, there wasn't a hole that we couldn't get home in on the, you know, the four pars from the rough. So, and that's really what did it. Also, Wingfoot doesn't have a lot of forced carries, so you can run the ball up. So even if you were in the rough, you know, we had a really great system. We, we, we did all of our rough work to know how the ball was coming out of the rough, how far it was going, how far it was flying on our good, bad, and average lives, which we check all the time. And we were a, the distance control of the rough was tremendous. Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website drrobbell.com and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. But it wouldn't have been possible without his strength gain over COVID. Yeah. So... And to win a major in in that kind of year, I mean, we're never going to see that again, right? With you know, limited crowds and, and all that. I mean, what, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. You know, it, what was nice about the no fans at most of the tournaments over COVID was that, you know, we didn't have, we didn't play the pro-ams. Mm-hmm. So we had more time to prep and, you know, it was, it was quieter. You know, it, it was really strange. A lot of times I remember when Bryson won uh Memorial. Yeah. And, I think 2018 and uh, 18 was so packed, you know, cause that whole clubhouse area and, you know, we, re- but we remember saying, Hey, I didn't even remember seeing the fans up there because 
his agent, Brett Falkoff, was like, there were so many fans here. You know, could you guys see them? We're like, no, we couldn't even like it was almost the same as no fans to us, right? Because they're so focused on what you're doing. Right. But uh, you know, the the sad part about the US Open not having fans was that, you know, I would have loved to have heard, you know, the roars because the putt he made on nine, he made an amazing putt on 14, he birdied 16. And, you know, to finish 18, I mean, it just would have been amazing to hear the roars because there would have been some back nine Sunday roars, which would have mm-hmm. been cool. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure, man. You know, you've, um, I mean, you were on the rifle team in the military. And so you were dialed in to kind of the barometric pressure, temperature. And did that help, like, when when you guys started getting into, you know, the golf ball density and green density and, and that and that piece of, uh, of your all's relationship? Yes, for sure. And you know, what happened, we were at Travelers, and, you know, the, the cool thing about Bryson was I could bring up anything, and he'd go, well, let's try it. And if it worked, he's like, let's implement it. If it doesn't work, okay, let's throw it out. So he was always open. It didn't matter how crazy it sounded, but, you know, I'm like, hey, golf balls, you know, it's, this is ballistics, same thing. And so if we, so if we can, and I'm like, how are we going to make Bryson better? You know, he practices more than anybody. So we're not going to get it from there. You know, we need to start thinking outside the box and getting him closer to the hole without changing his current skill set. Right. And so we started to do this air density and, and basically what air density is, it's barometric pressure, current altitude, temperature combined, and it gives you a density altitude. So for example, Amarillo, Texas, where I live is 3,600 feet. Um, In the summer when it's 90 degrees or 85 degrees, it's plays like we're at 6,600 feet. So that's how much it changes. You know, people typically just take the, the current altitude that they're at, and that's the only adjustment they make. But it's also, you need to make it a temperature adjustment and the density altitude, not altitude. So we found great success with that. Um, you know, Bryson was a flight scope guy, um, GC quad guy. So we had both of those, you know, units we were able to, to really hone this system in and, and it works amazingly. Mm-hmm. Part, of our, part of our success and him being confident in a number. Yeah. And I mean, you're prepped for the week. I mean, every Monday you would, you would start it over and get all those numbers, stock swing speed, everything that week. Is that, is that right? Yeah, correct. I mean, what something that's really important is, and especially as hard as he was swing training at the time, you know, to, to maintain and, and continue to hit the ball further, you know, he'd get really fatigued. So, you know, knowing first off how far he's hitting it because turf conditions change week to week, right? Some grasses, you know, all grass types can be different. You can have, you know, wetter, wetter soil. You could have drier soil with sand. You know, you could be at higher altitude, colder temperatures, whatever. Um, but for us to, to get those numbers every week, just made it, the adjustments smaller. Um, and, and then just us going through that process was just made it great. It was so easy for us, you know, because we had that technology, but the key with his swing speeds were, you know, there'd be days you go, Tim, I'm tired. You know, I'd say, Hey, your swing speeds are down and he'd try and ramp it up. And he's like, I can't get there. Well, good to know my players four miles an hour slower today. And I can make those adjustments on the course, you know, when, when mm-hmm. he's, he's injured or whatever it may be, but there's always adjustment. We're never the same every day. Right. That's how I was always impressed when, you know, when you get the baseline, though, because a lot of times like we're not operating, operating from our baseline. So we're not quite sure what that is, but you establish that every single week. That's what I found to be impressive. Yeah. And it didn't take long. Once we started to figure it out, we knew his gapping, you know, his his gapping in his clubs was perfect. We made sure that, you know, we wouldn't hesitate to bend clubs that week or uh, change, you know, change the lofts, strengthen them, weaken them, whatever it is to get the spin rate and the distance number we wanted. And we were really good at that. Um, you know, we'd usually take care of that on Monday and then, you know, normal prep the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. I think it gave us a great advantage. You know, the one practice round I did with you guys in um, at Shriners, and the one thing that I noticed is that Bryson obviously was a thinker, but he was also a talker. Like, he always seemed to be thinking out loud. Is that how it was when you guys would be, um, you know, playing together and especially like in, in the tournament settings? Yes, he, we never talked, we never not talked. I mean, he wanted me right next to him. He's a fast walker. And uh, so, you know, 
and Adam Svensson is too, by the way. But um, anyway, it was, I had to keep up with him and he wanted me on his hip and we would talk about every single thing. All we talked about was that shot leading up to the next shot. And I know a lot of people, you know, think, wow, that's just too much info, but that's how his brain works. You know, if he hit a ball, if he hit a ball into the right rough, you know, he'd, he'd want me to ask him, Hey, what happened? And we'd go through the swing to find out what happened. A lot of times he'd be upset and be like, I don't know. And I'm like, yes, you do. Let's walk through the process. And he's like, yeah, I need to be more owner here. And, you know, and just start going through his checklist. And then he's like, okay, I know what I need to do. And, you know, or, Hey, we hit a shot into a green, we hit it 30 feet. It's like, what did we miss there? You know, he'd say, well, I miss, I, you know, I felt like I hit it high on the face and the spin must've gone down or, you know, we missed the wind or we lost the wind or whatever it was. Hey, the ball rolled out more than it was supposed to. And we just talk about everything. So we're just staying sharp, you know, and not missing, you know, a small piece of data that may help us, you know, when we need it. Mm -hmm. But he would constantly, we were just constantly working the whole time. And I love being on the course with him. The range was tough, you know, because he, he's an emotional guy, man. And he yeah. wears, he's, he wears it on his sleeve. Right. And so, you know, there are times where, the times I love caddying for him were in the tournaments. I mean, in the battle. Right. And he was amazing. We, we worked well as a team and I, and I, I love doing it. It was, it was amazing watching how great of a player he is and hitting these shots right. In, you know, right there is amazing. Yeah. Is, um, does anything stand out through like your years together like where you felt you really did a good job on straightening the ship and, and having them go like in, in this direction, as opposed to getting caught up in something else. Um, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's hard to say. I mean, you know, these guys are 99.99% of the, ta of the success and talent. Right. And we try and help them where we can. And, you know, I think just, you know, under, probably the biggest thing I helped Bryson with was just, you know, working through the problem, you know, problem solving he knows all the answers, right? But sometimes he, he, he'll skip a step or miss the problem. And like, you know, we even did yardage on the green. You know, we, we made all the greens 11 stem. So we, we had our adjustments with our ball speeds. We knew exactly how far to hit the ball. We knew what percentage of slope we were putting across or what angle to straight we were putting. And we knew how far, you know, every putt to him, he played his level. And so we do this math equation. and you know, just walking him through that process gave him the confidence. So, you know, the thing I would tell you was that our communication together, I mean, like I say, we were talking on every shot about everything and, uh, you know, occasionally he'd get quiet and that would be a tough one. You know, when play, you know, they're not playing well, you know, they get, they get upset, whatever it may be, you know, I'd say to him, Hey, I'm still giving you information and you're not responding. And he's like, well, tell me to, to, then he goes, what you need to say to me is this, you know, Hey, let me do my job. And then he'd get back into the groove, you know? And so just, just having that communication was key. Yeah. In terms of, he would tell you, Hey, this is, this is how I need to be coached in that kind of situation. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I was, you know, and it happened with his, you know, with, you know, Chris Como, Mike shy, you know, not only after the round, I'd call his coach, right? you know, I'd call Mike or I'd call Chris Como and we'd talk about what was going on, you know, and just as that team, right. I kept, you know, his agent, we talked every day, you know, the whole team, we, we communicated, you know, it was just, and that was a big part of the success in keeping him, you know, I don't know what the word is, but you know, under control. Yeah, dialed, dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. Love uh, it, man. I mean, Tim, it, you know, one of the things I've noticed because Muhammad Ali had this quote says it's not the it's not the hill that wears you out, but it's the pebble in your shoe. And what I've always noticed is it's never really like the big stuff that seems to bother great athletes or even great performers, but it always seems like to be the little things. It, does that was that true in your all's relationship as well? Was it the little things that that would sometimes you know trip people up? Yeah. I you know, it's, it's, it's hard being out there. People don't realize, like, it seems like the greatest job in the world. And don't get me wrong. It is. It's a, it's a good job. You know, being, being a tour player is a job, right? It's, and uh, these guys are away from home. You're on the road. It's funny. You can win a tournament 
right? Shoot 20 under, win the tournament, and then Monday you're back at work at even par again. Right. You know, and every all that that little bit of time you had to celebrate that win is gone and now it's on to work again. And, and it's tough doing that, you know. It's a grind out there for sure. And then when you're dealing in this high pressure you know, environment where we're trying to be the best we can, you know, it, it can wear on you. But, uh, you know, we, we were good. You know, the one thing we said is, hey, whatever happens, whatever happens on the course stays on the course, right? That's a battlefield out there. We need to be respectful of each other off the, off the course and try and, you know, try and, you know, forget that and try and decompress and, and get back onto what we're doing, right? What we're mm -hmm. trying to focus on. Yeah, absolutely, so, man. It is. It's a grind and it's tough for sure. You know, having been out there, I mean, one of the things, um, you know, I, I'm really not a media fan or sports media because they're just all about creating kind of drama. If there's not drama there, they're going to try and find something. Did, um, I mean, did you think Bryson had a bad rap with the media and bad relationship? And that's where like all these things seem to get blown out of proportion. Yeah. He, I mean, he's misunderstood for sure. Some of it was self-imposed, I would tell you, because, you know, he, truly wants to do the best he can. He wants to be the best he can. And so when something would come up, you know, like, Hey, he's a slow player. He'd be like, but I'm not a slow. I mean, am I slow at some aspects of the game? Yeah. I mean, on the, around the greens, we took more time, but off the tee, you know, in the fairway, he walked fast, you know, we were always ready to play our shot, you know, but that would, that would, he didn't like the negative on him and he what he it's not that he was saying hey i'm not he just wanted to explain it and they say hey here's what's really going on and that was tough for him to um you know sometimes let go you know most times with the media you just got to let the stuff go but it really it bothered him mm -hmm. you know and so he would react that made him look like you know people would say you know he's spoiled or he's baby or whatever you know but it wasn't that he was just trying to show people who he was, unfortunately it showed wrong. It showed poorly sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now I, I appreciate that answer, man. I've, I've always take everything that the media has with some um, semblance with some reservation because it's just about drama to them, man. And if it's not drama, somebody winning, they got to find drama of, you know, what's going on between players, relationships, whatever it is. So I, yeah, I, I appreciate you answering that. No. Yeah. I mean, he was really great at it. So yeah, Bryson grew up in, you know, this unique environment with Mike Shy in Fresno and they had this, you know, they call it, the, you know, Shy's tent. And, you know, Mike has this program for all these junior golfers and he is an amazing, amazing coach works with all these young kids. Well, you know, even when Bryson was a superstar, you know, fifth player in the world, he'd go back to Fresno and he'd be hitting balls next to, you know, a five-year-old kid or an 11 year old kid. And he would help them with their games or they'd, take turns on the mat, you know, cause they all hit off mats. And so he, um, he loved working with these kids and, you know, that's something that people don't know about him. You know, the Shriners, he won the Shriners hospital open and, you know, that was big to him, you know, cause they make such an impact on these kids. And, you know, that was like, I bet if you asked him, it's one of his most favorite tournament wins that he had, you know, cause he can represent those kids, got to be around those kids, you know, so that's something that people don't know about him is that he, he really tried to make a difference in these kids' lives. And he, and he, he's, you know, back home, he, he's not a superstar. He's just Bryson, you know, and mm -hmm. it's a cool thing actually. And I, I'd love for him to get, you know, he lives in Dallas now. He still gets back to Fresno, but uh, you know, he, he, if you asked him, that's, he wants to play for the kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So people don't see that. You know, in terms of um, putting, so getting into like the putting conversation, you know, like one thing I noticed about Bryson was his speed control. I always felt was, I mean, was one of the best. Wouldn't you agree? For sure. Absolutely. Okay, good. I, I, I'm glad it wasn't just my assumption on that. He, I mean, that's what he worked on. Yeah. What, really were some, what were some of the things you guys did like, uh, you know, speed wise to really get that dialed in? Sure. So Bryson's typical warm up is, you know, we, we go to 40 feet and, for a 40 footer on 11 stint green, his ball speed needs to be 10.1 miles per hour. And that will roll out 42 feet. So he would just sit there and hit, you know, 40 footers at 10.1 until he got a great fill for it. And he had a measure, a ruler that he would always, you know, reference. And uh, so we'd do, we'd do 40 feet, 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, five feet. And then he might hit 
one or two balls to a hole and that's it. But it was all about the speed. And, uh, you know, he had his arm lock putter, you know, once he got the shaft, you know, a lot of people don't know about this, you know, he got the arm lock and then, you know, we were at, uh, the players and he's like, man, I'm the ball is starting on these crazy lines. And Tim, my strokes locked down. I'm not, it's not me. And then he realized, well, okay, he's getting some, uh, deflection in the shaft which was starting it on different lines so la la golf made him this double walled shaft is almost like a fat shaft like that size i don't know if people remember that but um yeah. and then the sick guys made him a you know bigger hosel for and got him this putter that was like like you can't bend it it's like rebar has zero feel to it right but because of his system and how he's locked down i mean it really made a difference and bryson People don't know because of his, you know, how far he hits it, but he's one of the best putters on tour too. He's always, you know, in the top 20. And, mm -hmm. but anyhow, yeah, he worked on his speed religiously. So then what we do is take that. So we know exactly how far he's hitting it. So we had a system that let's say that we were on an 11 stint green. We had a, we were putting straight down the slope on a two and a half percent. Right. And say we had a 40 footer, we'd hit it 20 feet. That was the math. So we'd always take, Bryson, when he got to the green, he'd walk on and say, okay, I'm 37 feet, right? And I'd say, and he'd go, I go, I'd say to him, what are we putting across? And he'd say, I like this, at, you know, a 2%. And I'm like, what angle? And he'd go 45 down angle. And then I would tell him the percentage and the distance to hit it. And then that's what he'd do. So, you know, it was like I say, we were constantly getting yardages, but because he was so good, and knew the ball speeds that, he, <clears throat> excuse me, how to deliver the putter. He, he was the best at it. You know, the, the, the one thing I regret of all the time that we did this was at Torrey Pines on, on 12. We final day. Yes. Final round. He's tied for the lead. Um, he just, he bogeyed 11, unfortunately, but I, he may have been one back and, and 12 is a really difficult hole, long hole. We hit it up there on the, he hit it in the rough and then hit it up onto the front of the green. And it's a big, there's a big tier going up. It's like a, an 8% slope in the middle of it. And for some reason, we just didn't average out, you know, the three parts because we're putting like a 2% across the, the flatter part of the front part. Then we're putting up this 10% slope and then up a two. And like, we just said, Oh, this is 14 divided by three, right? This is what it's playing. Instead of, dividing it up into each individual section and getting the speed. And he hit it nine feet by and he three putted. And I feel like, and then he slipped on 13. And I feel like if we would have done the math right on that hole, he would have won that tournament, hit a one back-to-back -back opens, which would have been unbelievable. But mm -hmm. it's like, cause he was so good at it and what we made a mistake, you know, and it wasn't a performance mistake. It was, it was a decision mistake, mm -hmm. uh, a, a mental, you know, math problem mistake which we did so well. It was just so crazy. But that one that sticks out to me. You know, as a caddy, man, do you think about, um, you know, the negatives, the time where you messed up more than the times where you were successful? Oh, man, yeah. I think really something that's really important in caddying is, you know, you need to call yourself out, right? It's like, hey, I blew that. Uh, we were playing at Cog Hill um, <clears throat> in the BMW Championship, and the right side of the fairway was baked out, right? I just didn't realize it because it was, you know, the Creek was like three forty, and we hit it into the Creek, but, it, and it, it wasn't in play, but it was because the, the ground, the turf was dried out and I just didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't recognize it. Right. Cause we'd hit up the left side, but the left side was not baked out. Anyhow, he didn't say a word to me, you know, and I put that on me for not knowing the, the condition of the course there and that section and, and, I said to him afterwards, I was like, dude, I can't believe you didn't say anything because I know you were pissed. And he goes, Tim, I knew you were so upset at yourself for not, not seeing that, that I didn't need to say anything to you, you know, mm -hmm. but I do, uh, you, of course, you know, you, you're, you're, I feel a lot of times like I don't do a good job and Bryson's like, dude, you, you did great today, you know, but you know, because I'm, I'm looking at every decision that we're making. Right. And Again, I'm just making the assumption that he's executing perfectly, you know. And a lot of times I'd say, oh, dude, that was bad on my part. And he's like, no, I just hit it, you know. And I, and that's important to have, right? But, mm -hmm. you know, I think 
Daddy, you need to be you need to be willing to call yourself out and and so your player has confidence in you and faith in you, right? Yeah. So yeah, no, that's great, man. I appreciate you uh mentioning that for sure. With um with putting, you know, kind of three keys. I mean, we've got obviously the speed, ability to start online, and then what you talk about is kind of the break of the putt, man. Walk us through because I want to talk about you know, aim marker, but walk us through, man. And, and, and am I correct on, on those three, like kind of those three keys? Yeah. I think that's all there is. I mean, if you, yeah. you know, have to, ha- and I think they're all equal, right. You can't have, you know, that was something we talked about all the time. I'm like, Bryson, you're so, we're so precise that I think sometimes, you know, if the greens are bumpy, we're at a huge disadvantage because we're doing all three, right. You have good speed. We have the correct line. Uh, we made the, the the correct read, and you st- and they starts it online perfectly. It's like if those three are good, but one's bad, we can't make the putt. Mm-hmm. But if I've missed one of those and the greens are bad, it could still pop in the hole, right? It could still correct. So we used to say that a lot. It's like, man, you know, that's why I putted so great on fast, smooth greens. But um, yeah, they're all equally as important. You know, the three things are: you have to have good speed control, you have to be able to roll the ball end over end. And you have to have the proper read. And I think this is my opinion. You know, Dave Pels, if you've if you've read anything about green reading, it's the, it's a complex math problem, right? Our brain can't do that complex math. To think that I can just look at something and go, oh, okay, this is what it does. It's just not reality. And I think a lot of people's problems with putting aren't from their stroke. It's from the fact that they're picking a poor line. So let's say that let's say the putt, you know, let's say a putt breaks three inches and I'm playing at edge. Okay. And we're going to make the assumption that I'm starting it on my line. Mm-hmm. I have to, to make it, I have to overhit the putt. I have to hit it with so much speed so that it won't break. Right. I have to make an adjustment. Well, I feel like our subconscious mind and our and our conscious mind are fighting each other all the time, unless they both agree. Right. It's like our it's like. I say, uh, I'm going to play this a cup. Well, my subconscious mind goes, dude, that's not enough. You need to push this or you need to hit it softer, right? It's like our autocorrect. And I think that when you have proper read, your speed and start lines are going to be more consistent. And I don't think that people have as much problem with their putting stroke as they think. Mm-hmm. And so I've done testing with the Quintic, you know, and, and you have a player go, you know, Hey, my putting stroke's perfect because on the Quintic, it's and for people that don't know, the Quintic is a is a putting uh, camera system, and it's the best in the world. And it it takes you know these high speed you know photos and it measures the ball, and so it knows exact all the data. And if you take a player, and Adam Svensson's a great example of this, on the Quintic, his stroke is perfect, and it measures it in green, yellow, and red. Green meaning is like the best, right? And it's a yep. small, t- and he's perfect at it. But if you say, Adam, read this putt, now let's set the Quintic up to it and only count the putts that go in, the strokes would be bad because the read is incorrect. He's making manipulations. Does that make sense? Sure. We're saying, and most golfers go, my read is perfect. I can read greens great. Well, Dave Pell's proved that no one can read greens perfectly, right? Without a system. Our brain can't do the complex math. So I encourage people to, to start focusing more on their green reading. And that's kind of, that's part of why I started this train marker. You know, I, I did a lot of green reading with a friend of mine, Jason Goldsmith. Um, he's a performance coach on the PGA tour. Amazing guy. And we, you know, we talked about doing this a long time ago and did and, and came up with, he came up with a device called the green key. And, you know, it was complicated. It was a, it was a bigger step than what, what I'm doing now, but, um, you know, I talked to him and said, Hey, let's read, let's do something about this. And, you know, he's so busy with his schedule right now. I didn't have time to do it, but you know, I, I in, created this, this little uh, device here. I'll show you. Right. And it's just a, it's a ball marker with different angles on it. And basically the math is in this on the marker. And so how the process works is what, what the player does is they mark their ball and they aim the line on their ball at the center of the hole. And then so you're, you're going through the whole true aim marker process, right? Yeah. That okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 I just wanted to set you up, baby. So, yeah, so the first the- step, first step is we need to mark it right at the center of the hole. 
Is that right? Well, yeah, we, we marked the ball and then we use the line on our ball to aim at the center of the hole. Okay, got it. So once we once the ball is aimed at the middle of the hole, then we match the center black line on the on the coin on the marker with a line on the ball. So now the marker is aimed at the hole, correct? Yes. Okay. Now from there, we just ask ourselves a few questions. The first question is, is the putt straight or does it break? Okay. So we have nine lines on the marker. If it's, if it's straight, we just put it back down and putt it, right? It's already aimed at the hole. Perfect. If it breaks, the next question is which way? So if the putt breaks left, okay, then we've eliminated five lines and we're only working on the four left lines because mm -hmm. they breaks left. We're working with the left lines that project the angle out to the right. And then from there, it's a process of elimination. So we have each line correlates with the percentage of slope, or I just like to label them and say, one is flat, two is average, three is steep, four is severe. So I ask myself, is this putt flat or steep? If it's steep, then I've eliminated the first and second angle. Then it's, is it steep or severe? And then I just select the angle and I put the, the ball now down on that third or fourth angle, whichever one I select, and then putt. So the cool part about it is, is that I don't even know where it's aimed. This is the way I use it now. So I, man, I've, I've used multiple green reading systems. I've used Aimpoint. I've used Vector. Um, I've used some stuff that Bryson and I've come up with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, PuttView has helped us with a bunch of stuff. And I don't even use any of that anymore. It's because it's, you know, again, they took the green books away from the tour. Amateurs don't have green books. And there needs to be a simpler way to read greens. And, and this is it. It's been, I've been so amazed, you know, I've, I've been selling them for two and a half months. Um, I've sold over a thousand of them. They cost a hundred dollars online. Um, our website's trueaimmarker.com. But uh, the feedback I'm getting from the, from the players using it is that it frees them up. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, hey, this thing frees me up, uh, you know, because I don't have to be, I don't have to be perfect. You know, I'm not letting my eyes lie to me, right? I'm asking myself simply the questions and then I'm determining an angle and then using that angle and trusting it. Right. And when you do that, as you know, and, and you can probably help me with this to, to tell people understand how this, how not knowing where it's aimed and now only focusing on my speed and rolling the ball end over end and not having the consequences of pushing it or pulling it, you know, because I don't know where it's aimed how that frees the mind up. I totally agree with you, man. I think that's, that's the key, right? I mean, to be free out there, but have that free stroke. And when you have, like, I always tell amateurs, it doesn't matter what your system is. It really doesn't like you can have, but you have to have a system. You have to know what kind of works for you. When I hear you mention that, that's where it's like, yeah, I think the ability to have a system, trust the system, um, the whole goal is to be able to have that free stroke, man, because you've, I mean, you've essentially, you've figured out exactly what straight is. And once we know what straight is, then really all we have to do is then start on that line. Is that, is that, is that right? Correct. Yeah, that's it. I've had players use it on the tour and you can't see them using it because you know, they're, it looks like they're going through their normal process. And, and even when I play guys are like, Tim, you're not even reading the greens. And I'm like, no, I've already look, the ball's aimed at the hole. I put my marker down. I've already made, I've already asked myself the questions and selected an angle. Once I select the angle, let's say I think it's an average or, or the second angle, right? Which would be, you know, this red, the red angle. I put my ball, the line on my ball on that red line. So it's projected out right. I don't know how far. And then I just step into the putt and look at the hole and then look back at the ball and putt. So I don't know where it's aimed and people assume that they're like, dude, you're not even going through your green reading process. And I'm like, I don't have to, it's already done it for me. And the best part of that too, is that even if I tried to use my, my, my eyes to see it, it's not correct. You know, we've proven that it's been proven a million times. And I think again, to go back to it, part of the problem with people's putting is that they're, they're saying I'm at my, all my reads are perfect. It's my stroke that's the problem. And I would tell you that none of your reads are perfect and your stroke's actually pretty good. You know, if you put, I've never used a line on my ball. Most tour players do. 
and it gives you great feedback. If you can roll the ball end over end, you started it online. Okay. Right. Fact. And if you took, if you, any of your, anybody watching this right now, if you put a line on your ball and you go to the putting green, not to a hole, because like Adam used to do this all the time, he'd just set the line down and putt to nowhere. Right. He just wanted to see the line rolling end over end. And I think if, if the people watching this would do that, you'd find out that your stroke's pretty darn good. Right. So if mm-hmm. I can roll the ball end over end, why am I not making putts? Is it because I have a speed issue or a read issue or a combination of the two? Because mm-hmm. rolling the ball end over end, you know, it's part of that feedback loop. Hey, when I hit a putt, was my speed good? Oh, yeah, it was good. Was the ball rolling end over end? Yes. Okay. Then I must have misread the putt. Right. So are you not using a line like when you putt? I do. No. With oh, you this do now? I have to. I never did before. Right. And I was surprised that now, this great satisfaction I get watching them see the ball roll into a run, whether I make it or not. I know I've hit a good putt. Yeah. And I don't think people use that feedback. You know, if you put a guy that's never played golf into a room and said, Hey, you can't come out of the room until you can roll this ball end over end, they'd figure it out. They don't, you know, we, we don't, I, I worked with this girl, this high school girl the other day, her setup's terrible, right? She's a beginning golfer. She doesn't look like she can putt at all, but she rolled that ball end over end every time. And I was like, don't change a thing about your setup or your stroke. Your stroke's amazing. You know, and it's so funny because, you know, we, we think we need to look a certain way. We all need to be the same and hold it the same. And, and, you know, but that's not the case. If you can execute, if you can roll the ball end over end, your stroke's good. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, think you don't hold, I don't think that people work on that enough. Right. They're making, they're saying, Hey, I'm a bad putter. Cause I'm missing putts. Not I'm a bad putter because I'm not rolling the ball end over end. Right. Right. There's, we kill ourselves on the putting green, you know, Putting is so frustrating if mm-hmm. you're doing. And I'm telling you, I had the yips so bad after, you know, I was, I was a decent amateur. I'd, I've played in like four USGA events and I was like plus three. And so I was a, a decent amateur. And when, after not working for Bryson, man, I had the yips bad. I could not even putt. It's terrible. And so once I got this, man, they went away. And it was again, because I'd lost that connection trying to be perfect. Yeah, All I was, I love it roll it down over in and it's a big deal. Oh, I love it, man. Um, so what was it like, you know, watching Adam win, you know, pretty recently at, uh, at RSM? I mean, having, what was that like yeah. for you? Well, so a friend of mine, AJ Montesino, this is caddy, you know, I, I called, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to caddy full time. And Adam was letting me caddy for him as much as I wanted to. Yep. And to me, it just wasn't fair to him, man. He is such a great guy. I can't tell you how happy I am for him. He's an amazing guy. He works so hard. He's a golf nerd, loves golf, right? And uh, I was just like, I'm not helping you by not being there for you full time. So I called a friend of mine, AJ Montesino. He caddy for Kevin Strillman. He yep. did a championship with Y.E. Yang. Um, he's a tremendous caddy, amazing guy. And uh, I thought that he'd be a great fit for Adam. So we started job sharing a little bit and then eventually, you know, I kind of bowed out and was like, guys, you know, and, and they did it, you know, and I was sitting home watching, was actually watching the football games and I turned them off to go to the golf. I never watched golf, but I saw that Adam had a few holes left and was winning the tournament or was tied and, and watched it and was happy. And, and then he called me on his way home and, you know, I just so genuinely happy for him and AJ, you know, yeah. he, he just, and I'm telling you, man, this kid's so good when he, now that he knows he can win, I'd be careful. He's going to, he's going to, you're going to start seeing him a lot. Yeah. Love it, man. Yeah. What else, what else do, um, do listeners or what am I missing with, uh, with true a marker, man, that, I, that I'm not sharing, you know, it, people, golfers are lazy, right? I know that cause I'm a golfer. I live, a block from my golf course and I haven't been this week. Right. And I I keep telling myself I want to get better, but I'm not, and I'm not going and I'm trying to change that, but you know, don't be skeptical of this. I would not even begin to sell this if I didn't know it worked, you know, Bryson, I gave one to Bryson and showed it to him. And um, he's like, well, you know, I need to do my testing. And I'm like, you know, I've tested it. And he goes, I know you have, and I know it works. Um, 
but you know, I'm going to run it through the process. And he did. And, and he's, he's been a supporter of me with this thing. He knows it works. Um, and he's used it. So it's, I just say, people keep your eyes open. If you're looking for a way to putt better, I promise you, this will help you. It will never hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I think it like focus off your stroke um, and, and take a little pressure off of you saying, Hey, I'm such a bad putter. Well, dude, if you're a bad putter, change it. Mm-hmm. Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today. Tune into KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com. And this will help you, I promise you. Yeah. And I totally agree, man. And that's why I'm, I was so excited to have you on the podcast, man, talk about all those stories. Is there a question that I should be asking that I'm not asking, Tim? Uh, no, I thought you think you've done a great job. Um, I, you know, a big part of, you know, who I am now has been because of Bryson. Right. And I would tell you, man, these guys, everybody always asks me, who's the big, who's the jerk on tour. Right. And I'm like, dude, these guys are really great guys. They're amazing. I love being out on tour. The hardest part was the travel. Otherwise I'd still be out there. And I have, I have, I just caddy for Jason day. Um, his caddy, Luke, his wife is having a baby. So, um, it was a great opportunity to get out and get around Jason day, you know, legend of golf and, and it was cool. But, um, yeah, uh, I've just been fortunate, you know, to get around a guy like Bryson that's pushed me to be the best I can be just like he, and I owe him a lot for that. And then, you know, to be able to, to meet up with Adam and help him a little bit, you know, it's just been like a blessing and I'm so happy that he won. So no, man, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I, yeah, that's awesome. People have helped me tremendously getting this bar- marker off the ground. Um, Martin Chuck is a, is a friend of mine. He's going to, he's the inventor of the tour striker and several other devices, and he's going to help me get this off the ground. So uh, I'm excited to have him helping me. Um, so it's going to be, going to be fun. Yep. I love it, Tim. Thanks so much, man, for, uh, for joining. And we'll put those links on there and just appreciate you, man. Look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, thank you, man. We got to get together and play some golf sometime, huh? Or go to a Redskin game. Uh, excuse right. me, Anders game. <laughs> That's right, buddy. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Take care. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.